0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: For all of you, welcome. Um, just a little bit of explanation about um, how things work around here. When we come to the end of the this, of, of this session and we come to uh, question and answer time, we have the custom of passing the microphone from hand to hand. And there are two reasons for that. One is because um, we record the sessions and they're available on the Internet through audiodharma.org. So if you miss, miss something or you'd like to hear something again, you can go and download those. The other thing is that um, we provide hearing-assisted devices, and those are in a box at the end of the stage. And if you can't, the the system, the naked sound system doesn't work for you. I advise picking up one of these, and these work through the sound system. So we ask that that when it does come to time that that the audience talks, that you you grab a microphone and use the microphone. Uh, The center uh, is funded with an Uh, The practice of Donna. Donna is the Pali word for generosity. It's a system of mutual support where the teachers freely provide the teaching to us, and we, in turn, support their ability to teach with with contributions and volunteer work and whatever. Um, There are two slots for donations as you leave the building. One is marked um, Teacher Donna, Uh, And the other one is marked for operations expenses. Um, Bathrooms are in the back. Um, And I guess that's it. Tonight's speaker is Susan Janus Ezekiel. Susan's been practicing insight meditation since 1997, a student of Gil Franzdal, she worked closely with Gil and other community members to found the Insight Meditation Center where she teaches meditation classes and yoga. And at this point, she always says, no, I'm only the substitute yoga teacher. So I'll say it for you.
0: <laughs> well, actually, I am teaching um, all the classes at least next uh, for this week and next week. So, yeah, because uh, Terry is away. So.
2: Yeah. Well, good evening,
0: everyone. Um, I like to start out the evening always with um, a nice deep bow to all of you for, for being here, for your um, intention to be awake in life and aware, for your efforts and um, discipline towards becoming mindful. And I also think it's good to kind of um, remind ourselves, you know, why, why do we want to be awake? Why do we want to be mindful? I mean, well, first of all, we want to be present for each moment of our lives, right? I mean, we only get one, as far as I know. <laughs> um, so we really want to be present. Um, but when we are present, when we come to our experience able to see things clearly, not preoccupied and distracted, Um, then we can really make um, better choices in life. Right. I mean, we can um, live more skillfully. And by that, I mean causing the least amount of suffering for ourselves and for others. And we can also, um, if we're really awake and alert and paying attention, we, um, we can know what our intentions are, our motivations are. We can know what our intention is before we act and before we speak. Um, and, you know, our intentions really um, are everything. I mean, they They shape our experience, they shape our lives. So if we can really be aware of them... Um, it's, it's a very, very um, important thing. So I thought, um, before I start the talk, that maybe we could all just stand up and take a little stretch. Um, so this evening is um, the first in um, a series of three Thursday evenings where we'll be talking about uh, the the so-called afflictive emotions, um, these being uh, greed or craving, um, hatred or ill will, and delusion or confusion. And um, of course, if we... Um, If we take a good look at the world around us, when we look at it clearly and uh, non reactively and really take a look at the pain and the suffering in the world, you know, the violence and the wars and hunger and starvation and the destruction of the environment. um, It's pretty clear that what's at the root of all this destructive human behavior. is these afflictive emotions, greed, um, hatred, and sort of a confused, deluded view of, of what really leads to our happiness as human beings. So, you know, we do well to understand at a very deep level these so-called afflictive emotions, given the power they have to cause so much suffering in the world. And, you know, I actually looked up the word afflictive in the dictionary, and it's defined as causing pain, distress, grief, misery, both mental and physical. And um, these three emotions are, are also sometimes referred to as um, the kalesas, um which is a poly word that means defilements or torments of the mind. And um, in this series of talks, we're going to be um, examining also some of the there are actually some wholesome aspects uh, to these emotions, as well as the destructive and unwholesome. So when we look um, Carefully, I'll just give a little overview of the three since this is the first in the series. When we look carefully at these um, taints or defilements. Um, so what do we see? If we look at greed or craving, it's very easy to see um, the unwholesome aspects. Um, there's this general, uh, a general dis-ease with what is in life. A general feeling of... Um, you know, incompleteness or a feeling that something's missing. And there may also be, um, or probably is a kind of dis-ease with um, the truths of life. Um, Kind of a grasping at the idea that things should be other than what they are. Because, of course, we know that the truth of things is that, um, you know, everything in this life that we know is impermanent. And that there really is no um, permanent, unchanging, solid self to hold on to. And secondly, there also seems to be um, a certain misunderstanding at the um, root of this craving that somehow by acquiring more, more things, more pleasurable experiences, that in this way, you know, we can. Um, we can be happy, you know. I, I just know that if I find that right partner in life, I'm going to be happy. You know, or I, I just know that if I get that job that my co-worker just got, someday if I can get that promotion, then, then I'll be happy. You know, so it's this kind of thinking about, you know, uh, if I get this, acquire this, get there, then I'll be happy. So that's kind of... Um, encourages this kind of grasping. So when we practice um, and we look really deeply within, and this is what we do when we do insight meditation or vipassana, we're looking, it actually means, vipassana means looking very deeply um, inside and um, when we look at the very deeply at the causes of, of our suffering then we really begin this process of uprooting these uh, taints or defilements or torments of the mind. Um, But there are also some beneficial beneficial or wholesome expressions of this um, uh, wanting or desire, let's say. Um, So the desire to be free of suffering. This is a good thing. The desire um, to let go, to let go of that compulsive grasping at things, um, the desire for love and peace of mind—not just for ourselves, but you know, for those around us—and you know, as we really investigate these, um, uh, this craving very deeply. And begin to free ourselves from that kind of grasping that I've been talking about—the clutching, the pressure, the tension of, of wanting. Um, then we can begin to um, really discover some of our very deepest intentions, and then these intentions can actually begin to take take root and replace um, the um, the afflictive emotions, the craving. And so, and as our practice deepens, we we really begin to cultivate also a very deep contentment and happiness that doesn't really rely on anything outside of ourselves. Um, You know, we hear a lot of talk about um, freedom in in our world. Um, But there seems to me to be a kind of a basic misunderstanding. There seems to be this feeling that true freedom... It's about, you know, kind of being able to pursue whatever we want, uh, about getting, getting to do whatever it is that, that we want to do in life. But to me, freedom doesn't really have to do with satisfying these cravings. And it seems to me that true freedom is um, not having to rely on getting what we want all the time to be happy, that this is really, to me, um, a true freedom. And it's really kind of an inner inner state of being. This is what we cultivate when we sit, an inner state of being, a peacefulness, a contentment that doesn't have anything to do with getting what we want or things outside of ourselves. And then we begin to, begin to develop a peace of mind that really stays steady with us, rooted, rooted, uh, no matter what is happening outside of ourselves. And you know, when you think about it, it's really very hard to have peace of mind um, when you're always in pursuit of the next pleasurable experience, always kind of on the take. It really seems kind of the opposite. Uh, almost a freedom it 's more of a state of of, of bondage a kind of a slave to your your cravings and your wantings we 're always constantly searching for a source of happiness somewhere outside of ourselves but the more we seek things clearly in life, the more we practice we see that that 's not really um, that 's not really the true source of happiness for us. So then if we look at um, what I like to think of as the flip side of greed or craving, we look at ill will or or hatred. And it's very easy, again, to see the unwholesome aspects of hatred. You know, the lashing out and, and violence and the fear in the world and the running away from the things that we don't want and that are painful to us. And also the the loneliness and the isolation that comes from the view that, you know, um, I'm separate from others and I'm better than others and I deserve more than others. (laughs) And so, therefore, I'm always looking for ways to kind of elevate myself, you know, and to gain for myself uh, at the expense of others. And, and, um, you know, you can see that there are um, very many successful, wealthy people in the world who... um, are very don't seem very happy, very uh, seem very um, isolated and um, are unable to connect with with people because perhaps because they fear that the people want something from them just as they want from 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 the others. There's also um, this. A view that, you know, that, that I am my opinions and I am my views, this identification, and that my views are superior to yours. <laughs> and that my source of happiness lies in just eliminating or overpowering those who have a different viewpoint. Right. I mean, we can see this in operation in the world. Um, but then there is also. There is a wholesome side to um, ill will or aversion, you know. And sometimes um, aversion is um, necessary in terms of um, um, keeping us safe or um, helping us to turn away from unnecessary pain or suffering. I I remember uh, years ago I was in a, uh, a job that was um, a very it was a very painful um, environment that I was working in. And uh, there were a lot of um, undercurrents and undercutting, and it was really um, uh, it was making me profoundly unhappy. And I just uh, I suddenly realized that, you know, that this was unnecessary suffering that I could turn away from this job and, and, and find another one. And that's what I did. And that was a case of unnecessary suffering, aversion that was healthy. So the third afflictive emotion, uh, delusion or ignorance or confusion. So um, it seems to me that at the root of that is this um, misunderstanding that, again, that um, That the source of our happiness lies somewhere outside of ourselves. Uh, The source of our happiness lies in acquiring more things, more material, more power, more influence, more success, um, and and all of that. And a lot of people seem to be operating under that, (laughs) under that um, delusion. So as we practice, then we practice uprooting these afflictive emotions. And that's why we sometimes refer to this practice as a process of purification. Because as we uproot the um, torments of the mind, then we begin to actually experience and cultivate a peaceful, clear mind that's um, undisturbed by craving, undisturbed by uh, hatred, undisturbed by delusion and confusion. So, for tonight, I'm going to um, discuss in more detail the first of these afflictive emotions, which which is greed, or craving. And um, in the Buddhist teachings, there are you'll find many references to sensual pleasures as being the object of greediness or craving. And also some rather lurid um, descriptions of what can come about when we are caught in our pursuit of these pleasures. Um, I just thought I would read a little bit from um, the, the Middle Length Discourses. These are uh, a collection of the Buddha's teachings. And um Discourse number 13, called the Greater Discourse on the Mass of Suffering, the Buddha is talking to his monks, his bhikkhus, and he says, With sensual pleasures as the cause, sensual pleasures as the source, as the basis, kings quarrel with kings, nobles with nobles, brahmins with brahmins, householders with householders. Mother quarrels with son, son with mother, father with son, son with father. Brother quarrels with brother, brother with sister, sister with brother, friend with friend. And here in their quarrels, brawls, and disputes, they attack each other with fists, clods, sticks, or knives, whereby they incur death or deadly suffering. With sensual pleasure as the cause, men take swords and shields and buckle on bows and quivers, and they charge into battle, massed in double array, with arrows and spears flying and swords flashing. And there they are wounded by arrows and spears, their heads cut off by swords, whereby they incur death or deadly suffering. So... It appears that things haven't changed much from 2,500 years ago. Um, Now, also, when the Buddha would talk about sensual pleasures, he would make um, an important distinction. And he would separate um, sensual pleasures from the craving for sensual pleasures. And, and so, in effect, what he was saying was um, not that sensual pleasures in themselves, sensual pleasures being all the beautiful things that we can experience through um, through the eye, the ear, the tongue, the touch, you know, all these things that we take in through our senses. He was not saying that there was something inherently wrong in enjoying um, the pleasures of life. What he was pinpointing really was the craving for the pleasures, the constant pursuit of the pleasures, whatever the consequences. And in the Dhammapada, which is a collection, uh, kind of a summary of the Buddha's teachings in kind of a poetic form, it's really a beautiful book, and this is Gill's book. Um, one whole chapter, And one of the longer chapters in the Dhammapada is titled um, Craving. And so I thought I would read just um, a few verses from this. The craving of a person who lives negligently spreads like a creeping vine. Such a person leaps ever onward like a monkey seeking fruit in the forest. Sorrow grows like grass after rain for anyone overcome by this miserable craving and clinging to the world. Sorrow falls away like drops of water from a lotus for anyone who overcomes this miserable craving and clinging to the world. So... um, Of course, as practitioners, we many of us know that um, the the first of the five hindrances um, is actually (laughs) craving greed. And so if your practice is anything like mine, then when you sit, often you are practicing with this afflictive emotion. So how do we practice with um, greed? How do we practice with craving? How do we uproot it as the cause of suffering? Well, one thing I know is that if if we continue to be focused um, on the objects of our wanting, then we'll never be free of the wanting. No matter how many objects we succeed in acquiring. I mean, I I love chocolate. You know, I I sometimes experience craving for chocolate. And so um, and I satisfy it. It's fine. It's not causing harm to anyone. But in another day or two, it's back again. (laughs) You know, it's it's back again. So even when we get what we want, the wanting is still there. So it's really only what I found is that only by letting go of the objects of uh, my obsessions and really focusing on that wanting itself, um, then I began to um, free myself. And so in my practice, what I what I did was I began to work just with the felt sense of this craving um, and so I think I noticed that when I could leave all my thoughts about it and my judging about it um, and just focus on um, how this um, afflictive emotion sort of manifests itself in my whole body experience, um, and then I really found that this emotion began to... Um, I sort of started to disarm it or it uprooted the process of uprooting began. So in my practice, I started noticing that in its most basic form and in, in the felt sense, um, and I'm sure that um, all of you here have felt this, just the most basic feeling as you're sitting. That you want to get up, that you've had enough sitting, you need to get up. And, you know, sometimes I'll be sitting and um, the thought will occur to me, oh, gee, you know, I really better put that load of laundry in the dryer. I better get up and, and take care of that right away. Or, gee, you know, that, I noticed the refrigerator is looking really dirty this morning. I really should get up and take care of it, you know. Again, it's this, this, need to this wanting to get up, get busy. And so I I began just practicing with just with this, this need, this feeling of wanting to get up. And I kind of investigated it in my practice. It was kind of a feeling of uh, swirling energy, um, agitation, just coming up, um, um, kind of, like, from a spring inside of me, just almost literally picking me up off the cushion sometimes and sweeping me onto my feet. And I, I really remember um, the the first full day sitting that I did at Spirit Rock years ago. After uh, about a half a day of sitting, I just it, there was this this desire, this need that just about picked me up and made me run out of the room. It was that powerful, and um, and so I just sat with it, um, and I learned that you know I could sit for one second more. I could sit for one minute more. I could sit for five minutes more, half an hour more. And um, you know, just by practicing in this way, by bringing mindfulness and investigation to this felt sense of um, craving, desire, greed. And by noticing that when I didn't give in to it, um, when I could kind of bring my awareness to it and try to relax that that tightness, that swirling, that agitation, that um, uh, that it kind of dissipated. Um, So this is how I really came to to know in a very deep way, this craving, this afflictive emotion, this torment of the mind. And it was not an intellectual exercise. I was not thinking about it, but I was just bringing my whole awareness to it. And one of the huge benefits that came out of this um, investigation um, of this. Uh, emotion as a felt experience, I I began to um, notice it when it arose outside of my meditation. Um, Because, you know, when you you get to know a feeling so well and you just start to notice it. And I just noticed um, how many times it would arise in me during the day, that feeling, that that kind of swirling energy, that. agitation. And you know if you look around, take a good look around in our culture, it's it's not hard to see how much um, energy and money is spent on tapping into that that craving, that basic human craving that we have. All the marketing and the advertising is aimed to just tap right into that. You know, you you need to have, you need to drink this soft drink. You need to take this pharmaceutical. You know, you need this new car. You need this cosmetic, these shoes, in order to be happy. (laughs) You need it in order to be admired. Um, You need it in order to impress people, to be someone. I mean, isn't this the way it operates? This is the message, right? So... You know, I really began to. Um, to notice, you know, for example, years ago, I used to be attracted. I love shoes, you know, and I would see an advertisement for a pair of shoes and it would be a really nice pair of shoes. And I would just like, oh, I've got to go out and get those shoes, you know. And so then as I started um, practicing with this, I started, you know, just saying, well, hmm, that there's that craving again. I already have, you know good number of pairs of shoes maybe I'll just let this go and the next day it was like I don't really care about those shoes I don't really need those shoes you know it was just um just this this swirling energy that just seems to grab hold of us and you know I remember reading or hearing once that one of the great um Thai meditation masters. And I I think it might have been Ajahn Chah. He liked um, he was a Thai forest uh, meditation master. And and that's why I think it was him. But he liked his students, his monks, to practice as much as possible just in nature, out of doors. And um, he said that that was because when you know, when we sit in, you know, a beautiful meditation hall or when we sit in our living room or a bedroom, you know, really the vestiges of desire are all around us, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the design of the room, the materials, the construction. This is all about desire, right? Desire to make more beautiful things, use more materials. So that's why he really, really liked to have people sitting as much as possible in nature and, um, you know, what I what happens to me every once in a while, if I'm sitting in my living room, or my bedroom, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of sitting and I might open my eyes a little and I notice kind of like, oh, there's that worn spot on that carpet. Gee, I really should replace that carpet, you know, or <laughs> or I look at the wall and think, oh, God, that wall is looking all faded. Maybe I should get painting that, you know, just these little Things, these little um, little probes that come into our awareness that get us going again. I mean, has this ever happened to anyone else? <laughs> Am I alone? <laughs> um, so it's. It's just that needy energy, that need to improve on our situations always. Newer, something newer, something better, something faster, more efficient, more pleasing to the eye. Just as you really investigate this um, greed or craving, you really begin to see how pervasive it is. And one writer actually... um, uh, called it Life's Seductive Momentum. And I, I really like that she used the word seductive because it is so tied in with these feelings of, of desire, lust, and craving. So we do well when we practice with this kind of perpetual state of wanting when we bring our full attention to it and really notice how it motivates so much of our behavior during the day, how it kind of can sometimes, um, you know, if we're on autopilot, kind of it can kind of take hold and propel us into situations that we'd really rather not be in. And I can notice it at work when I'm eating. You know, I have... Uh, already something in my mouth and I'm chewing it and I'm already on to the next bite. You know, I'm already, I haven't really fully appreciated or finished what I already have in my mouth. <laughs> I'm already on to the next bite. And so when we watch this kind of wanting happening, um, we begin to see that we can just let it go, and that we really, we really do have it all, you know, right now. I already have that delicious food in my mouth, you know. I already have. I, I, I think it's um, safe to say that um, probably all of us here in this room tonight that we, we already have everything that we need. Um, In terms of uh, material things, food and clothing and shelter, we already have it, right? We already have the essentials. So how much more of it is just this wanting? The the acquiring that we do, how much of it is really just this wanting um, at work? And... So, we can really, um, as we practice, we can really feel the truth of that, you know, that we really have it all right now. And what a really different world it would be if um, many more people realized this truth, if this constant grasping, pursuing, um, would kind of end. And, you know, you can really. Just take your hand, just hold it like this, just very relaxed. And then hold it like this. And very relaxed. Hold it like this. Here's the grasping. How does that feel compared to this? Feel it. Not nearly as um, pleasant, right? (laughs) And that really is uh, that... um, afflictive emotion, that torment of the mind is really creates a lot of tension, a lot of pressure. And we're not even, you know, often not even aware of it. So we practice with the craving, we practice letting go. We practice staying still and steady as even as this swirling Driving, agitation, you know, tries to sweep us up and away into the seductive momentum of life. And as we grow deeper into our practice and as we um, let go at deeper and deeper levels of our craving, our wanting, and as we get more and more familiar with um the truth of life, how things are, that all things are impermanent, then we really do begin to um, develop a very deep source of contentment that doesn't rely on satisfying the wanting. So I thought I would end with... Just a few more verses from the Dhammapada from that chapter on craving. Weeds are the ruin of fields. Passion is the ruin of people. So offerings to those free of passion bear great fruit. Weeds are the ruin of fields. Ill will is the ruin of people. So offerings to those free of ill will bear great fruit. Weeds are the ruin of fields. Delusion is the ruin of people. So offerings to those free of delusion bear great fruit. Weeds are the ruin of fields. Longing is the ruin of people. So offerings to those free of longing bear great fruit. So we have um, a few minutes left here, and um, so I'm really interested to hear from any of you um, you know how how do you practice with with craving? I mean, it is so such a basic um, uh, human emotion, afflictive emotion. Um, Just curious to know um, how you practice with it. Anybody care to share?
3: It's a general observation, but people that have suffered in one way or another somehow seem to be less greedy. And those that have not suffered are somehow generally more greedy. And uh, that's kind of a general observation I have. And I think that kind of is a clear illustration of the concept of having two things. One on this hand and one on the other hand. It's hard to say what is of value just by having one thing, but by having two, we get to reality. Just so a comment.
1: Thank you.
2: One of the things that I have done... Um, when I want to buy something I or I wait three days now. And um, I find that makes a huge difference with whether I really want it and exploring the intention behind it. And if it's three days it sells something kind of like you talked about the shoes if it's something and I've explored that then I, can, I feel like okay, it's okay to do it but I find myself putting it off more, even longer than three days. Sometimes, like, oh, I'll check that in a week, and if I still, or even a month. And one example is my garden. I've been renovating my backyard, and and I used to want to do things so fast. I gotta get it done this weekend, or I gotta get it done. And just allowing the process gradually. There's such a peacefulness about it, and I look back. I look in the backyard and it's not done. But it's okay that it's not done because I you know, I it's the creation that I appreciate that I'm creating this. So it's the the I'm enjoying the waiting now, which is new.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you.
1: I'm not trying to start an argument or anything like that. <laughs> but <laughs> um, to your remark about you know people that come from nothing tend not to want anything at all, and people that have a lot tend to want more in life, um, I disagree. I, for one, am a prime example of that. I come from very little... And it drives me in everything that I do in my life, with my job, with my family situations, to want more out of life and more for myself. And it tends to um, lead me to be a little greedy with things. So I, I okay. have to, I guess, hold back on some of the things that I do with my money and other situations not to be so greedy.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you know, we all um, we all have our personal circumstances um, that we kind of work with, our conditioning. And um, so, uh, you know, we all kind of have a a different um, little bit of a different relationship to that afflictive emotion. Um, But. uh, but I think just by uh, just by bringing, you know, it's not, um, you know, as I as I tried to point out um, when the Buddha talked about sensual pleasures, that, you know, um, uh, the things that we can enjoy in life, there's nothing wrong here and there's nothing wrong with um, acquiring wealth <laughs> as long as we do it in a way that causes no harm. Um But it's it's this kind of being in this perpetual state of never feeling like there's never enough, like I'm never complete. Um, And this, you know, we can see that this is a huge source of suffering. Um, And so just, you know, as as I explained, just just by um, bringing our awareness just to the felt sense of it, not so much with our thinking about it or judging, you know, um, then we really um you know, we really get to know it so well that we can, you know, as she was saying, we can kind of be more in control um, of our wants, you know, and um, sometimes we really, um, you know, sometimes it's okay to, to go out and get something that we want. But when it's just all always this uh, grasping and um, propelling oneself through life, you know, Um, It really, it really does disturb the peace of mind when it's a constant state like that. And peace of mind is everything. I mean, that's what we're that's the the uh, source of contentment and true happiness that we that's why we're practicing. Right. So thank you for for sharing. Anyone else?
1: I had a real vivid experience of of craving this past weekend. I was at a a retreat at Vajrapani and everything was quiet and very neutral and there's a a bookstore there. And during the period of silence, I would just walk through the bookstore. It was just a wall. There were no objects that Did that come hither thing to me at all? Nothing. And then, after we broke silence, I saw people with books. And I got that gobble feeling. (laughs) That, oh, books. I love a book. Look at that book. oh boy and i just had that feeling that i have to have all these books and it was like whoa (laughs) it was it was a little overwhelming and Mm. then there was this shawl this which this has been there the whole time when you walk through the bookstore it's something that you know i went through that room four or five times a day but didn't didn't get any of that feeling Mm -hmm. there was this shawl this woolen shawl that was figured with paisley and it was soft and beautiful, and it was like, oh. And I did all the mental justification things of, it's like, I already have a blankie, you know. <laughs> and it's like, but I've had it for 29 years, you know. So it's like, uh, and it's like, wait a minute. This is really unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And it was like, ah. <laughs> Something stuck in me. You know, let's like, get out of here. Yeah, yeah,
0: the little <laughs> tendrils that go out. Yeah. yeah. So, what what do you think changed then? Was it just that you um, uh, that your focus uh, you were you were focused when you walked through on your kind of your practice, and then you kind of when when it was over, you opened up and or uh, what do you think
1: I was, changed? I think that I was allowed to have the gimmies, That oh. I was I was focused on my breath. And that's where my attention was directed, and it was such a vivid example of um, controlling your input. Right. So yeah. that the stimulus I was choosing were were the the physical stimuli of breathing, mm-hmm. and then observing what was going on, so that things in other instances which would have been likely focuses for Froki for me were not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. No I didn't buy
2: anything: <laughs> So did you get the shawl?:
0: No, she didn't..:
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, A few years back, I remember reading uh, a poem of Rumi's where he talks about desire being like stung by wasps. <laughs> and it was, it was very interesting visual imagery to me at the time and I really didn't, but I didn't get it. Mm. And just recently in, in my own practice, I've gotten the sense of what painful desire is. Like this, it, it actually does hurt when you look closely at that kind of craving. Mm-hmm. And it was really eye-opening. Um, that it's not a pleasant feeling at all. Mm. You think it's a pleasant feeling, mm-hmm. but uh, the thoughts are wrong, mm-hmm. which, is, which is supposed to be really interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good, thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we've all practiced to some extent with, with the wanting. and um, So we would do well to get to know it at a very deep level to, in order to be free to make our choices when we, you know, when we want something and satisfy it. And then, you know, it's over.
3: So if I remember correctly, in the poem, it, uh, the remedy to escaping the wasps was to sink into the water.
0: Sink into water? And, yeah. Oh, that's and lovely, so yeah. the imagery
3: is to, to, to immerse yourself in the divine. And in this instance, I think it's immersion to the uh, practice frees you from the wasps that would uh, sting you otherwise.
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> leave it to Rumi. <laughs> Just beautiful. Well, okay. Well, well, thank you all for sharing and and coming and sitting with us. And um, it's been really uh, very interesting exploring this um, uh, torment of the mind. And next week, um, Jim Bronson will be here talking about um, hatred or ill will. So I wish you all free of wanting.